Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women that are living their dreams and making a path for the next generation. I'm Brenda hernandez Caimes, and this is Ellas. Hola, welcome back to Ellas. I'm your host, Brenda hernandez Caimes. And I want to thank you for joining me on another inspiring conversation. I'm so excited and happy to introduce today's guest for episode 47. I'm a big admirer of her work and of her and really the things that she's doing for our community, our Latinx community. Andrea Marquez is a communications manager at Hispanic Communications Network and host and producer of Latinx, a new platform geared towards Latinx millennials and Gen Z, focused on motivating them to get involved in their communities through interviews with experts, leaders, academics, and anyone with a unique perspective. Andrea has a master's in journalism and legal studies from Harvard University and a BA from Columbia University. After graduation, Andrea moved to Mexico City to work as a television writer for major networks. She has worked as a producer for A&E Networks and as a marketing manager for Mark Anthony Productions. In her free time, Andrea is a book reviewer for Penguin Random House and just spending time with her family, writing and most recently, I realized doing amazing Legos. So please welcome Andrea Marquez. Hola, Andrea. Oh my God, the Legos. Um, I just have to include them. It's so much time of my life doing those for free, for fun, not free, for fun that I'm like, someone needs to know. And I never share that with anyone. So thank you for sharing that with me. That's something I, I love. So for our listeners who don't know, I was a guest on Andrea's podcast, Latin Equis, and we talked a little bit about that, how we are so forced, really invested in this idea of we have to monetize our hobbies. Mm -hmm. And I love that you just shared, well, I don't share that thing about me. You, it's your, your own, your personal. And I can really connect to that because I myself have hobbies that I don't share on social media because it's, it's mine. And thank you for being open and sharing that that you do right now for the Legos, your love for Legos. Yeah, of course. I'm, uh, I, I start, I started when I was surprisingly, I did, I wasn't that young when I started doing Legos Mm -hmm. and being interested in them, but I started doing them intensely when I graduated from undergrad because of this anxiety of the uncertain, because I didn't know what was next. And Mm -hmm. I needed some sort of outlet to forget everything that wasn't reading or watching TV, but something that involved using my hands. And that's kind of why I started doing them. Oh, interesting. So I can definitely see you doing Legos because there's a certainty in them, right? It's like you have to follow certain steps and Mm -hmm. the end result is always going to be the same. That does give you power and control, right? And in a place where you find you don't know what's going to happen for your future and your life. So I'm interested, what caused that anxiety of the unknown? Because for our listeners and for myself, I'm like, Andrea, you know, you studied in Columbia University, like, wow, that's amazing. And I like looking through your work, I feel like you had a path that was clear, but obviously in your shoes, you felt that anxiety of the unknown. And I think that is totally acceptable. And a lot of our listeners can relate to that of not knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I had it as tough as a lot of people I know, obviously, and I'm very grateful for the opportunities that came to me, but there's this idea, this concept of early onset burnout that's even, that I've created in my head and I'm sure it's actually an actual thing but all of my life my I had like these very intense go-getter parents who were all achievers high achievers overwork workaholic parents um they were always present in my life obviously it's not mm-hmm. like this like tragic story where I was left alone no um and I always admired that and I was taught the same and so when I was very young, I was, a doctor told my mother that I had ADHD and that I had to be, or not had to, but he suggested that I be medicated 
And instead of that, my mom was like, I'm just going to put you in a lot of after school activities and tire you out so that, you know, you're not all antsy. <laughs> and so since I was young, everything I did was like they, I, I mean, I would get out of school and I would have dance or piano or whatever. And then I'd go home like at nine and then do homework and I'd be going to sleep like at 12 and then waking up again. And you know, it's the same thing every day. And, and it worked. I was so busy all the time that I think that's how I channeled my ADHD. I don't know, whatever. Um, but because of that, it was, I always had plans. I always knew what I was going to do. I always knew what was going to happen in the summer. And even in the summers, I knew exactly what I was going to be doing all summer. I never had summers where I just kind of lounged around. Um, cause I couldn't. And my mom and my parents were never like, they believe in relaxing, but not for three months of the year. Like that wasn't just, and, and they couldn't afford that with me, right? Because mm -hmm. I was an only child and I'd start getting bored if both of my parents are working and I have no one to spend time with. And so that led to just always having something to do, always knowing what was next. And I graduated high school and all of the work I did in high school, I knew what it was for, right? So I knew what, what the best extracurricular activities were gonna look like on my resume so that I'd get into the best colleges. And it was as if even my hobbies, and that, that, that's tied to like Lego, building Legos. Back then, I would never be able to be building Legos because that's not going to get me into Columbia University, yeah. right? So everything I did on my extra time was tied to that somehow. And that's why when I finally got into college and I was in college living, I think I relaxed a little more there because I, I wasn't sure what my next step was after college. And so I opened up like a little more into theater. I never knew I was a theater kid. So I started doing theater and I never knew I was into production and all of these things. So I started doing that because I was like, I don't know what's next. So I'm just going to explore. But even then, you know, what's, what you're going to be doing this summer, you know, what you're going to be doing next semester. And then you graduate. And I was like, okay, do I get a job? Do I apply to my master's? Do I uh, like take a, a leave and apply for some grant to do some freelance writing? I don't know. Like I, there were so many options and I kind of froze for a bit. And for a bit, I mean like a month or two, which I know a lot of people are like, lol, that's not a lot. But in my mind, it was, it was right? Mind. Because I was so used to having and knowing what was coming next. And I, I remember in that month, I bought one of my first Legos that I have it in Mexico somewhere and was like, well, I have the time now and this looks pretty cool. And it was the first time I think that I genuinely had a hobby like a, a hobby that isn't going to do anything, not take me anywhere. It is solely for the purpose of relaxing me and for being a hobby. And I was what, 21? No, 22. I don't know, around that age. Hearing that and knowing that you, since a very young age, you were constantly on the go, that activity, that hobby grounded you. Did it force you to really feel the present and not, yes, you were thinking about the future and what was going to happen, what you're going to do next in the next third month or second month. But looking back now, did you realize that you learned something new about yourself that you could allow yourself right now in this timeline that you're in to give you that relaxation, that doing something not to take you to the next step in your career, but to just make you feel grounded as a person? I, I would say that I want to say yes. I want to say yes. It grounded me and finding hobbies uh, helped me learn a little bit more about who I am as a person. But in reality, I live with so much anxiety, not anymore, mm -hmm. but I used to live with so much anxiety that doing a Lego was sort of like watching TV where your brain goes numb for a good hour maybe and then after that hour's over you're like okay what's next it helped feeling accomplished in little things mm -hmm. so you know after a lego is done you do have that sense of accomplishment 
And I think anybody who, who is a little stuck and doesn't know what to do needs those little things. And in fact, I would, I've talked to a lot of girls that have been in very similar situations that are younger than me and, and they come to me and they ask for my advice. I don't have the best advice. I don't know because I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what helped me get out of it. But what I can tell you is anything you're doing in your life, even the small things, try to accomplish little things. When you wake up in the morning, I don't want to romanticize it for you and be like, just being awake is already a good thing. I don't believe in that. I personally, if that's what works for you, that's great. But I think you should at least, I don't know, making your bed, making coffee, cleaning something and accomplishing one goal that is very easy, but those little steps might lead to something a lot more um, coherent in your life, something a little heavier, stronger that you can actually hold on to because you're going to start creating that habit of accomplishment, yeah. even with those little small things. And you're going to be wanting it more and more. And you don't know, maybe if you want to be a writer and in the creative world, that feeling of one Lego accomplishment can lead to, okay, I know what this feeling accomplishment is. I'm now going to write one article or a paragraph or whatever. So whereas I'd like to say that the Legos did this magical thing for me, it was just a little part of the whole puzzle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The whole journey. And thank you for being honest and being honest with us today, because I feel like that small activity isn't the answer to all our problems. And like, you know, that big, that, that small hack that everyone is looking for, it's like, oh yeah, this is the solution to all your problems and troubles. And, and, and no, it's, it's like you said, it's one element of the whole journey of you mm-hmm. being here today and you experiencing less anxiety and really knowing who you are and where you're going. And so take us back after you having that month off, the two months off, what was the next step? Knowing what you said about your parents always having you like on the go, I imagine that was also obviously instilling you. What was the next step that you did in your career? And looking back, was it the correct step? Oh, that's such a tough question. I ask myself this a lot. And I might change my opinion in years to come. Just Mm -hmm. want to give that little disclaimer. But right now I could tell you, I don't think those were the right steps. I think that for two years of my life, they were wasted in a way. And I know that right there's like this like societal, like when you hear all of these podcasts, everyone's like, there is no such thing as wasted time because, or failures, because you learn something out of them. Yes, absolutely. I did. I did learn something out of my two years. So if you want to see it that way, sure, it wasn't a complete waste of time. But when you think, when I think about the fact that I had control over my decisions and over the actions I took, it's a little annoying to me because I'm like, I could have, I knew where I was. I I kind of understood where I wanted to go. And I don't know why I went a complete other way for no big, good reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, someone might say you're being too hard on yourself because I've heard that before. And yes, that might be another thing. I don't know why I have to give these like side disclaimers. I just feel like I don't want any person listening to this feel like they have to be as hard on themselves as I am. And I'm not, I just, I'm trying to be real and honest. I I don't want to give a a story that isn't accurate in any way. But I think that what I made a lot of mistakes during those two years trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I've noticed this pattern among creatives that they, for a little bit, for a while, they just kind of get lost and they're like, oh, I'm going to use this as a sort of part of the process thing. There was not, I I think I made a lot of mistakes during those two Mm -hmm. years. And if there was one point where I just realized like, okay, this could turn into something is because I met one person that opened a little, another door for me, not a door because meeting this person didn't lead me somewhere concrete. It was more the idea of another possibility. And so 
I met a person, he became a great friend to me and he was someone that was already a lot more into the Hollywood world, I would say. Mm-hmm. Hollywood, yeah, like entertainment business. He was a writer, he'd done movies, he knew exactly. And then because of him, I started meeting other people and I just started understanding this world a little better, not being not from the outside and not as a newcomer, but as someone that is already kind of acquainted with people. And I started writing, you know, I, I kind of learned the ways and, and I started getting more involved and, and meeting more people in Mexico and in LA. And I just sort of jumped around project to project. And within that, I can tell you, I learned a lot, like practical skills. And I learned networking and I learned how to put myself out there and not be in this bubble, mm-hmm. which I had been for such a long time. And yet I started realizing, and although I think I was going in the right direction there and I was doing objectively well, I started realizing how unhappy I was because it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. It was, there was, this is why I admire creatives in the sense of actors or directors or like television writers, because they have such uncertain lives and they hear no so many times that I just couldn't do it. I was like, I I can't have this be the rest of my life. It's great if it's two years, but more than that, I'm going to go crazy. I can't, I need an actual job that I know I can count on. I'm one of those people. So I kind of decided one day, I was like, I'm going to get an actual job, period. And maybe I can keep doing creative things on the side, but I want something where I, I do want my nine to five. Yes, that security. And that is totally acceptable. And I think super realistic. A a truth that has been quickly erased in the last years, and that has another idea of the quick and easy way has been fed to our generation, right? That Yeah, absolutely. Forget the nine to five job and focus on your passion, which is great, but one has to be realistic and one has to remember, you know, not everyone can do that. Everyone, you know, there's bills to pay, there's family to support, there's a lot of things going on before you take that big leap and go and chase after your dreams. And again, I love that you're so honest because a lot of people would have said, oh yeah, I learned lessons and those are great years, but I can relate to the first years after graduating, you make a lot of mistakes, a lot of career decisions that weren't the best that you realize, if I had made another decision, it would have been much better. So clear us up in the timeline. Were you, when you decided to the nine to five job, were you in Mexico city by that time? When I was at a and I was, still in New York undergrad and I had just graduated and I was still doing that after right after I graduated I had a job so I was still mm-hmm. fine and and then I think it was when I said in that job at AE they offered me like a more long-term role mm-hmm. I said no because I was like I don't I don't think I want to be behind Oh, okay. So this is interesting. And I should probably mention this so that there's more background to understand. So while I was at Columbia, I had a a job. Well, it was an internship that turned into a job, right? Mm -hmm. I actually had two job jobs and I had an actual role in those companies. While I was there, graduated, kept working. And I remember I was offered another role long-term like, yeah, this would be my adult, my first adult job, right? I said, no. I remember going into the office and, and my boss almost being like, like very peculiar that you just decided not to work out of nowhere because I, I didn't give anyone a heads up. I just was offered that. And I was like, Oh, I didn't like, uh, no, thank you. I have plans. Didn't really have plans, but the reason I didn't want to work there was because I was behind a desk nine to five. Mm-hmm. Right. So I left thinking that I wanted something a little more because of this idea that society had put in my head of no, like living a nine to five job is basically settling Mm -hmm. is this idea that I was brought into. And so 
I was like, oh my God, no, this, this sounds terrifying. Like, this is what you do as an intern. And then as like, like a little freelance, like, but this is not, no, I'm going to become something a little more like creative where I get to pick my hours and do whatever I want. So I was really excited with that concept without even understanding what that meant because night, not having a nine to five job means you're working 24 seven then mm-hmm. to not be able to work a nine to five job behind a desk. Exactly. Yes. Nobody told me this. I did not understand this concept. I was living by these Hollywood dreams and these like influencers telling me stuff on social media that I started to believe could be my life. And reality kicked in where I was like, oh no, like, and what I just told you. And then I lived these two years where I was like, this is a nightmare. Like I, it takes a special type of person to do this. I don't think I'm one of those people. I think I can excel very well within structure. And so I need to go back to a nine to five job, but I have to find a balance so that it's not the nine to five job that I left where I'm literally behind a desk nine to five. And it's something where I can find an in-between. I can have a secure job, have a nine to five, have some administration, but I can keep doing creative and we're not, we're not every day looks the same. And that's when I started looking for a job that led me to the job I'm in right now in DC. I had a lot of other small jobs that I was doing. I, mm-hmm. I freelanced government freelance. I wrote for very, for major networks. Like for those two years, it wasn't like I was just jobless. No, you but these were small contracts that were, le- you know, like mm-hmm. for three months, you'll be here for six months, you'll be here, but nothing where I could see myself long-term until I was like, all right, girl, you need to find something that you can stay in for two years and be happy and fulfilled and find that it'll take you somewhere and not just a two years behind a desk, mm-hmm. miserable because digo, you have to find an in-between, right? I'm not telling you guys to go and do a nine to five to fix your lives. That's not something, something in between I knew I could live with and I was right. Wow. So Andrea, listening to this I know you've said like there there are mistakes and I can really relate to that you realize you know you you kind of I want don't want to say like fail but you like you fell on the floor and then you got back up and you admitted to yourself the freelance life was not for you and then you went back at it what was the job that made you help you to your current job right now in DC and was there a moment in like you said right now like okay now that's do that's got a nine-to-five job that will make you fulfilled that will make you happy but also provide you that structure but provide you maybe it'll be a different day every day was was there a moment in time or was there something a job that you were just tired of the three month, seven month contract. What was that pivotal moment in your life that made you make that decision? Or was it the journey of having this experiences? So I wouldn't say it was a job itself. I think it was as many tragic endings, no, dramatic life moments. It was a boy oh. <laughs> that made me realize that again, all my life, I was kind of like this perfect person that did everything well. And I had a boyfriend for a good, like four to five years, four and a half years, five years almost of my life. He was my best friend. He still is one of my best friends. Um, Also side note, I don't think I've ever ended bad with any of the, like my boyfriends or anything. It's always been like, okay, breakups, but I met this one boy who, who I, I say boy because he was a boy. Like I, looking back, I can't call him a man. Not because he wasn't, but like we were both children, like in mentality, even I was a girl. I, it was just very dreamer-like because I was spending so much time in this Hollywood-esque mm-hmm. world, I met other dreamers. Yeah. And you are who you surround yourself with, right? I I truly believe that. I truly believe those sayings of like, look at the five people you you spend the most time with and you're an average of those five people. I totally believe that. 
because the more I started spending time with these creatives who are a little more used to the idea of not having structure, the more I started believing that somehow that was the best way to go for me, mm-hmm. when in reality it's not. And we already established that. So meeting this boy who was so used to this, I kind of fell in love with that concept of like, wow, look at how carefree he lives. Look at how just confident he is in his, like who he is and the decisions he makes. And I want that confidence. I want to walk around feeling as if I know exactly who I am. And that is what attracted me after the, cause it wasn't, I didn't like know him for, or meet him for the longest time. But I think after like the two months of like, wow, being like cross-eyed loved, I started realizing these little things where I was like, this isn't sustainable for long term life. Like this, this is great for like a, a year off in your life, maybe. And if you're young, but how does he plan to sustain this way of life for forever? Mm-hmm. Because that's what it seems like. Like this is what his life is going to look like forever. And that's when I started panicking. Thank God I started panicking about these things very early on. And it didn't take me like two years of my life again to realize these things. But that's when I noticed like, okay, I don't want to look like this person or be in a relationship with a person like this. Who do I actually want in my life? What do I envision as a partner? And when I started writing down, because I did, I, write, I wrote down what I envisioned in a partner, I realized that it was sort of the things I wanted to see in myself, not very much in who I was expecting to, to find. Mm-hmm. And I said, why am I, why am I waiting for this like savior to come and fix my life why don't I just become this list myself yeah and one of the top lists was a stable job whoever I was with I wanted them to have a stable job and I said well that's where I'm going to start I'm going to actually look for a stable job so it wasn't so much about like because I I had really nice opportunities Mm -hmm. um when I was freelancing so I couldn't say like any of them were so terrible that I was like I need to find stability but it was that fear of seeing this person not really becoming anything concrete in himself that scared the hell out of me of becoming that person. It's, I love this because our conversation for Latin Equis and today has really, there's a lot of points that I see myself in you that you just said. And I imagine our listeners are going to also connect with you, what you said right now. That is so true. You have to surround yourself with people. I mean, you, you act like the people that you surround yourself with. And obviously, you have been fed that idea of the dreamer by society. And then you surround yourself with these friends and this relationship. And then realizing that this is not you. This is not your essence. This doesn't really make you happy and fulfilled that self-love first comes comes first and it needs to come first how did you go about finding that nine to five job that gave you stability but also a concrete idea of what you wanted to be a more full person to become Andrea because I feel like to come to that realization of the concrete idea that also has to tie in with maybe a life mission, a passion that you are so dedicated towards. And your current you know, job is working for, for creating these con- the con- this content for the Latinx community, specifically to millennials and Gen Z. Was it a journey that you came to this realization, this concrete idea? Or once you finished that list and started really soul searching in yourself, where it's like, oh yes, it was always there, but you just were distracted by that daydreamer Hollywood idea? A little, I, I, probably a little bit of both. If, if anyone, like if I needed to put it in concrete words for someone mm-hmm. to be able to utilize this would be, there's, you have to leave, it's, it's, also, it's almost like if I had to put it in numbers, 60% of you already knows who you are. It's 
always there. You, you grew up with this. There's not a lot that is going to tremendously change you as a person. And what I mean by this is once a creative, you're always going to be a creative. Don't, don't try go do, doing something that is like the other side of that because you, you won't be, you won't feel fulfilled and you might be asking these questions a little late in the game. And then there's this other 40% that you really need to tap into. That is the 40 that lets you play and understand who you are, because I think it is a journey. I didn't set out looking for a job thinking, this is exactly what I'm looking for. You have an idea of what you're looking for. And there, again, this is at the beginning, because once you're already in a career path, you look for jobs very differently. But when you're young, starting out and all of these things, I've had talks with a lot of high school and undergrads who, who ask themselves these questions. And the one thing I tell them is don't necessarily look for a specific job. Don't say like, I want to be CEO of this company. And so you're going to look for like something closely related to that, or don't look for, I want to be producer at NBC or something like that. And then look for the role of producer. I would Whereas that can work for a lot of people, I think in the long run, if you don't know exactly what you want to be doing, look for a mission, look for a reason for why you do the things you do. So a lot of the places I applied to were mission driven Mm -hmm. and it wasn't something concrete that I was doing. It wasn't like, oh, another mission driven organization. Let me apply here. No, I just started realizing that it was a pattern. And all of the places I was attracted to had some sort of very strong mission for something, not all for Hispanics, not all for Latinos. And so I had like a couple of offers and I was fortunate enough. I know this doesn't happen to everybody, but I was fortunate enough to within weeks be able to get job offers, not the ones I wanted. I said no to all of them, except for the one where I'm working now. Well, no, that's a lie. I said maybe to one. And the reason I said maybe to one is because what caught my attention was because this company was going to fly me into LA to work with them for two weeks to convince me to work with them, essentially. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, they saw my resume and they loved me that much. No, I had to go through a process. I had already taken these exams that they wanted me to take. I did these projects they wanted me to do. And that was like the end part of it was like, okay, we like you come work with us for two weeks so that we can figure each other out. And that's the only reason I said yes to them or maybe to them. And I didn't end up staying because for the first time, and that's one thing I can attribute to this whole being lost for two years. For the first time I felt so empowered to be like, okay, I'm not going to say yes, unless it's a resounding yes. And I know I read that in some book and some self-help book, and maybe it was like Shonda Rhimes is yes. I'm not really sure where it came from, But something I was reading around that time made me be like, unless I'm super crazy, yes, yes, yes about this, I'm not going to say yes. And I wasn't crazy, crazy, yes, yes, yes about it. So I didn't say yes. And it was a very awkward conversation, but they were super nice about it after me eating their food and having their laptop and living and being within their awesome offices. I felt really bad about saying no. And you know why? Because this job was still feeding this millennial idea. These were people that went to work in onesies that would skateboard or hoverboard around the office instead of like desk desks. It was like these pods or hammocks. Awesome. Just awesome. They had kitchens, like three kitchens that were fully stocked with a bunch of snacks. And instead of cubicles, it was like big Legos. Like it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Like what you see in TV. But I was like, oh my God, I cannot go to work in a place where they use onesies and hoverboard. That is not who I am. I need some sort of structure. And it would be like going back, right? Yeah. Back to the very beginning of that lost journey. No, yeah, yeah. No. And that's exactly right. I was just, there was something like the ego in me was like, oh my God, it's like saying that I work at a Google and I'm not going to say the name of the company, but it was like saying something like that. Mm-hmm. And I know it would be make, well, I don't know if I would have made my parents proud because I don't even know if they would have understood that, but there was no mission behind it. And when I compared it to the job I was offered now, 
I was like, why do I suddenly feel my body warm and like fuzzy when I think about that job versus this job where it causes me so much stress and I haven't even really started. I'm already anxious about it. I'm already nervous. And the past me would have been like, oh, that just means that it's out of my comfort zone. So I'm going to go get it. But the new me was like, I need a balance. Okay. Because this is also out of my comfort zone. It's in DC. It's working. Like it's picking up all of my stuff and moving half of this job. I don't really know what to do with it. And I only know some parts of it. So it is out of my comfort zone. The only reason I, I feel warm and fuzzy is because there's a very clear purpose behind it and it's to help people. So regardless of what I do, even if I suck at my job, I'm going to be helping someone and I'm going to be waking up every day knowing who I'm like, what I'm doing. And that's what kind of helped me pick up my stuff from Mexico and fly to DC literally two days after graduate. Was it two days? I don't know. All I know, I can't remember clearly, but I know that the day of my graduation from my master's degree, mm -hmm. my current CEO was calling me during commencement. I can't remember who was speaking in commencement, but someone was speaking and she called me and I had to like, with my cap and gown, whisper and say that I wanted the job. And then I just flew and went to DC. Oh, wow. That again, thank you for saying that as people, we deserve feeling those comfort, fuzzy feelings and job, relationship, friendship, it's, and forget that. And I, it's that same millennial dream idea that it's been selling to us, you know, like we have to get out of our comfort zone to grow and, 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 and to become someone else. Which is partially yeah. true, right? True. Like, yes. I just want to say one thing um, that is tied to this fuzzy feeling that I wish that someone would have told me at a younger age. And I always proclaim it to my younger cousins and my interns. And I say, look, I wish someone would have told me that it's very okay to be happy with staying in your small hometown. That it's very, that it just because you stay in your small hometown and marry your high school sweetheart and do a job very similar to your parents or something like that, it doesn't mean that it's a failure. It doesn't mean that it's not some sort of success. And we get fed these ideas of, small town people going to New York or DC or mm -hmm. LA or these big cities and making it and becoming successful. And then that's why they're successful versus the people who decided to stay and just build a family and live, live out their life happy. And be, it, there's, there's no, there's no one way of saying what something, who, who is going to tell me that success is going and moving to a big city and making it yeah. who, who and who's going to tell me that just because you know i'm single in dc meeting all of these important people doing these great things i'm more successful than someone who decided to stay in a small town is now married has a child super happy and having a nor like a normal job like I wish someone would have told me that so badly because I think I would have made very different decisions and been a lot less harder on myself and who knows what I would be doing right now. And I don't mm -hmm. regret any of the decisions I made, but I definitely feel like I would have lived life a little better. I would have just gone with what makes me happy instead of what I thought everybody else wanted to see from me. Yes, it would have been amazing to have realized that you have the power of really defining and stepping into your own version of success and happiness and that it's totally acceptable because it's your version of happiness and success. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what were your parents thinking throughout all of this journey? Because your parents, from what you were sharing, you know, they had their job, hardworking, go-getters as well. And seeing you in this journey of learning and realizing that's not what you want and really finding yourself. How was their reaction and you making these decisions? Were they supportive? Were they, did they help you push you into realizing that it's okay to not have 
that big time job that it's expected of you or that it's okay one day, you know, having a family and, and if that makes you happy, they'll be happy for you. Because as I feel like Latinos, our parents, it's like, it's a big part of our life and the decisions that we make and so forth. So how was that experience like with your parents? You're right in saying that as Latinos, our parents have a lot of say in who we become and from who we marry to the careers we take. And my parents were very, very involved, just always. I think it was very tough for them to see me in that position. I think they struggled, definitely struggled because my father's an engineer, a very successful engineer and his, owns his own company and just has been successful from the start. Like he doesn't really know these like, who am I sort of mm -hmm. questions. He never asked those things. He was just good at what he did. And my mother also was used to having a stable job. She's an architect. She's a little bit of everything. She's a badass, but she wasn't like this lost creative kind of. They were both never these type of people. So they didn't know what to do with me or what to tell me or how to guide me because they didn't understand my world. And when we had these conversations, they'd be like, we, they wanted to support me. If I said I wanted to go to Hollywood and try to make it as a writer or something, they wanted to support me. They were just terrified for me because they knew that I think deep down, they know their daughter. And so they, it's not that they didn't believe in me, but they knew that I was used to some sort of structure. So it was going to not be impossible, but it was going to be very tough for me. And like any parent, you don't want to see your children unhappy. It's not because I don't think they were ever like, or my dad at least was never like, this is what my version, version of success looks like for you. Like, no. My mother, in the other hand, did have a very clear idea of what success would look like within what she knew I was capable of doing. So in her mind, my mom thinks I am capable of being Kamala Harris. <laughs> right? Yeah. So in which back then was Hillary Clinton. She wanted me to become a lawyer because she knew I was capable of it because that's what I did in undergrad and masters and I was good at it. And she was like, I don't understand why you don't, you don't just take that extra step of four more years and to go to law school, take the bar and become a lawyer. And she struggled in seeing me not automatically become successful, if that makes any, like she, she wanted me to just snap into success. No journey, just, we sent you to the best schools. Now work your magic, Harvard, you know, that's not how it works. And in fact, that's also another media lie that's been painted to us that if you go to Harvard, you're automatically going to be successful. Whereas you have a higher probability of becoming successful. Yes, I'm not going to lie. Harvard, having a Harvard on your resume helps, but it's not the solution. It's not what's going to fix your life. It's also not what's going to make you successful. Um, so when she didn't see that return, it was almost like, well, then why did you go, like, why did you study your butt off for these many mm -hmm. years for this, for like going back to zero with all of these other people that didn't go to Harvard? Like, if you, if you want to Harvard, it's go to compete with other Harvard people. Like, why are you, what, what is this? She was a little hard on that. Never hard in like an annoying, like movie way where the mother is just so unfair with their children never and I could never say that about my mom more like confused as to like confused yeah. yeah she just didn't understand why I was making it harder on myself when I could just go to law school and go to that path because we all know what that path looks like mm -hmm. so just do it eventually she did start seeing 
I, you would like, I would need to talk to her, like what it is that sh shifted in her. But there was a point where she was like, okay, there are other things you could be doing with your life versus just being a lawyer. And when she saw me start this job, that was more concrete. And I had like an actual day to day. She was like, okay, interesting. Okay. There, there are other things there that are out there. And it was just a very slow process and journey with her. But as any Latino parent would, would say probably, or many Latinos parents would say, you, you have these ideas, any parent, I don't know why I say Latino, any parent has these ideas of who they want their children to grow up to be. Sometimes it comes from unresolved things from your parents themselves that they want to live in their own children. And we all know these stories. Sometimes it comes from the insecurity of not wanting you, your child to go through the same struggles that you went through because my parents had a fair share of their own struggles. I don't know. But what I do know is I could never blame my parents for struggling through this with me because they mm -hmm. did. And that's at least, that's the least I can ask for, I guess, that they could empathize in their own way for what I had to go through. And in the end, now we're a little, now, now we're able to talk about these things and be like, okay, they see a different path for me. They, they understand what I see for myself. And it also comes from me being confident enough to tell them yes. that these are other things I could be doing instead of them telling me what they see or what they would want me to be doing. Yeah. And I think that takes a lot of courage in yourself and in your decisions and what you want in your life, because you could have taken that, followed what your mom wanted, right? To be a lawyer, but you didn't, you, you still went and chose yourself first and chose what made you happy and fulfilled. And I, I can resonate with that. I can, and I know my listeners are going to resonate with that a lot and moving fast forward, you know, you've been here in Hispanic communications network for quite some time now. And can you share with us experiences of you being grateful and proud of the lessons that you learned and the changes that you've have been able to do because you started Latinx. You know, you're the producer, you're the host, and it's a podcast that I love, that I listen to and follow. And just knowing your journey, I can see some things of myself in you. And I know my listeners are going to do that the same. And you creating Latinx and you providing this also sense of connection just makes it stronger. My, my love for it makes it even stronger. So can you share maybe those moments of that you're proud of that you're like, I made the right decision of choosing this path right now. First of all, thank you. Those are so sweet. It makes me feel happy. Just this is a moment that I'm very like happy about and that I feel like I made the right decision because the path or the journey to starting Latinx was very much like, ah, let's see what happens because it's the sister brand of La Red Hispana, which has been living for many years working and it, you know, has its loyal fan base, the same people, not the same people, but you know, we have a loyal fan base and um, the, the talent is just incredible people who are older, very wise. And when I started working here, I was like, I want something for like me, younger people. And I want something where we get to hear a coherent, like a, a voice that is real. That isn't just about, look at the successful person who started this podcast. Now let's all listen to them to see how we can become successful like them but someone just normal like me who could sort of talk to other successful people because I have had the opportunity to talk to people who are at the top of their game, but humanize it in a way. And I'm not going like, I didn't want the podcast to be just stories, just people who are real and talk to me as a normal human being. And it's not this hack. It's not, Let's talk to you about how you became successful to see if we can line up our stories and, and maybe I can just copy you and get there as well. Because we know that that's not a reality. It's like talking to AOC. You're, 
there's one AOC. It's going to be really hard to be the AOC, the next one, right? So hearing you say that is what I care about. I have very, I have difficulties being vulnerable to a certain extent. I like presenting, I'm used to presenting this image of myself where I'm like put together because I had to for so many years. And so being able to talk to people where they feel like there's a, they're related somehow to what I'm saying and they can, that it resonates with them. And asking questions to other people from a very human, like, I'm not going to pretend to know the things you know. I'm not going to pretend to be this elevated intellectual person. I'm just really asking you as a normal person who is starting out her career and very, I just want to know that that is my thing. I'm not wanting to know because I want to emulate you. I'm not wanting to know because I want to find some sort of hack. I'm just genuinely very curious to see what your story looked like versus other people's. And that's where a lot of Nikki's came from. And I think every time I have an interview, I feel grateful every single time. It's just, and I know you can resonate with this or you might feel the same, but like, it's like, wow, this person actually wants to talk to me. This is kind of cool. And they said, yes. And I already admire them for simply wanting to tell me their story and being humble about it. Like, because to me, sometimes it's like, they don't understand how significant their interview is for me. And that is like, wow, like you, you're not, you're not a normal human. I need you to understand here that I'm looking up. Right. So every single time that happens, I, I'm very grateful. And there's another experience that I had that I think was the first one at Hispanic Communications Network versus Latinx and La Red Hispana, which is its own thing. At Hispanic Communications Network, the first months I started working there, and this was the first time I was having a job after being a freelancer for so long, I was given a project that I had no idea how to begin. I had no idea what it entailed. I was just very naive. My boss believed in me more than I believed in me, for sure. And I think it was because I was faking it till I made it. And this whole project happened because I faked it till I made it. I definitely lied to myself most mornings. When I would look in the mirror, I'd be like, you're, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Um, had a lot of sleepless nights because this project entailed bringing the highest people in broadcast, Hispanic broadcasting flying them into DC, finding a room in Congress, bringing in like the ambassador of Mexico, Bob Menendez, all of these high people, congressmen, senators, all in one room to talk about how the media approaches social determinants of health. So how the media basically talks to Spanish speaking Latinos in the United States in a way that they'll be able to not just not only understand but approach life from a different lens because the way you speak to primarily spanish speakers in the united states it should be and not everybody knows this but should be very different than the general market Mm -hmm. so more than the message here of what the event was for because it was the idea that i've never had to to work with such important people I was so young. I mean, as a 26 year old, was I 26 or 25? I think I was 25. I was such a noob. I didn't know anyone in DC. I had just moved here. How the, how was I going to find a room in, at the Capitol? Where, who do I talk to? Like what door do I knock? I don't have even a phone number. And my boss was not providing me with any of those. So I was like, how do I even, how do I talk to the Mexican ambassador? How do I talk to Bob Menendez? Do I just call them? Does, is that how it works? Do they have to answer me because I'm their, because they're politician? Like it was starting from scratch and basically Googling and cold calling a lot, emailing a lot, mm-hmm. bothering these people a lot and almost like crying at their door. And it involved a lot of stress. Finding a room at the Capitol ended up being 
because I called like five of my newly minted friends that I had just made that had no reason to help me out because they just met me Mm -hmm. calling everyone and being like, can someone please find your room at the Capitol? Just anything, one side room somewhere, a bathroom, I don't care. Obviously, I finally found that through a friend that was nice enough to get it through her office. And it ended up being the oldest room in all of the capital where we held that. Oldest, I mean, very well taken care of, but mm-hmm. there was this historical significance that I was able to like leverage into, because yeah. of that. But um, I was really proud of that in the end, simply because I think that was the first time that after that ended that I was like, oh my God, am I an adult? Am I, can I actually do things? Am, am I good at my job? It was the first time I believed it the first time I was, I believed I was actually good at, great at something. And I, I, I remember going to sleep for two whole days of how exhausted I was waking up and being like, I've made it, whatever that means, (laughs) my version of making it, this is what I'm feeling right now. And feeling empowered that anything coming your way that you can make it because you just accomplished all of that. And exactly. You pulled it off. I love the answer that you said earlier about being curious. And I think that being a journalist, that is essentially what you need to have, you need to be. And you have to be curious into the other person's story and journey. And that really resonates every time you talk in Latinx with your guest. You have that curiosity and it shows. And I can connect with that and connect with it's a big deal having a guest on your show because you admire them. And then you see them like, no, you don't understand. You are someone amazing. And I just need to talk to you and know you and like, just peel those layers off because I want to see like why and how. And so thank you. And I am so happy that you also share those big accomplishments that must have been like really frightening and scary, but like you pulled it off still. Like, and you know, in these years now that I want to ask you and going back to Latin Equis, because of that curiosity, what have those lessons that you've learned from your guests that you kind of embrace? Because I feel like for a yes, every conversation leaves something positive in me as a person and as a woman. How about you? Yeah, I asked you this as well, something, yeah. or something similar. I think about this a lot. And I want to do something for the end of the year of Vladnikis, like the top things I learned from all of the interviews this year. I think it goes back to what I was talking about, where no matter how successful you are or where you are in the rung of like the most successful people within business and Hollywood and politics, we all have had to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And whenever I, I get to talk to these people, it makes me feel that I have yet such a long way to go. But the most important thing is wherever I am right now, getting the most out of it, squeezing the most I can out of it, and knowing that wherever I I go next or wherever my journey is, I need to be 100% and not make this mistake again, because I know I've made it before. It's not regret anything because I know I did my 100% where I am now. And that's one of the things I've learned from in many different ways, because I think there's not like I've had politicians, directors, actors, and at activists. Like it's been very different from everyone. But if there's anything that you came to this life to do, it doesn't matter what you do it, just do it inspired, do it with a purpose and everything else will fall into place. I think it's one of the most powerful things I've learned in my life, concretely in words that I can see and I can feel from every single one of my interviewees. Wow, yes. And I can definitely, you know, connect with that. And, you know, we've talked about throughout this journey, you you said yourself, uh, your version of success, but like, 
And I think, but I want to like make it more clear now because I think due to 2020, I feel like our version of happiness and success is so much different now because of what has happened. But I want to ask you, what is your definition of success as Andrea and as your definition of happiness for Andrea? <laughs> I think this changed a lot in the last year, but I think everybody wants to be happy. So whatever makes me feel happy and being able to do that, I want to be madly in love with whoever I decide is my partner in life. I want my partner to be my best friend. And the reason I give so much importance to my partner is because I'm going to prioritize myself and I've been prioritizing myself for so long so that I'm ready to find someone who's done the same. And so that we can build a life together. And I think that a lot of my success, what I think my success should look like is going to come from who I choose to be my partner in life. So one of my most important things it's when it comes to success is finding that person as well as finding my happy. And if we want to put it in like career goals, concrete, I would say something that allows me to, to keep that balance of being both a creative person and administration strategy, something that keeps me aligned just because I am a person who's able to do both things. So if I can work somewhere that lets me, lets me do a little bit of everything, that is a win. And I'll find a way to be successful within that. Yes. Oh, I, I think I'm repeating myself all throughout this conversation, but yes, it's, it's, I can connect <laughs> seriously. And you, you mentioned earlier, if you like had the opportunity to tell yourself, you would say this, but you know, if you had, you know, that opportunity to travel back in time at any age, you know, because I feel like there were pivotal moments in your life that really marked you and shaped you who, who you are today. But like knowing now what you know, what would you tell your younger self? It's not as hard as you think it is. Very simple. Yes. Not as hard as you think it'll be. Perfect. And Andrea, I want to thank you seriously for you know, your time and sharing and being open and vulnerable and being honest with me today and to our listeners. I think seriously a lot of our listeners will connect to this and realize that it's okay it's totally normal and perfect for them to choose themselves and what makes them happy and not follow and i don't mean this as an insult but no ser un borrego not not be a sheep and and mm -hmm. follow their own path and you are a great example of that you know you you followed that path it wasn't for you and you chose yourself and what made you truly happy and you are reaping the results now. And due to that, I was able to connect with you today and be part of Latinx and just create this connection that I'm really grateful for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brenda. This was so nice. I, I mean, you know, I'm a fan and it's easy to open up when your host is as wonderful as you are. And so now I understand what it's like to be on the other side of this. So thank you for making it so easy. Thank you. And for our listeners, where can they follow you if they have any questions? Where can they follow Latinx? And, you know, let us know if there's a way maybe they're interested in asking you about production or media or wherever, like where can they reach out and connect? Sure. So the primary way you can reach out to me personally is through my Instagram at Andrea M here, M as in Marquez. And for Latinikis, it's at Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at Latinikis. It's Latin and E-Q-U-I-S, Equis in Spanish. And I am all for anybody reaching out. I get people reaching out all the time on my spare time. One of my hobbies is I advise young people who are in high school who for how to apply to colleges. And I go in deep with like, I've checked their resumes. I've checked their college applications, their essays, everything. And I am so for that. No, free of charge. 
obviously keeping in mind that I'm not going to check stuff like a week before because I have work. So, but if you do it with time, I can absolutely help out. I also help out college students who are looking for internships. We offer internships and I'm open to checking people's resumes and seeing if this is a thing. Or I've also had virtual coffee things or dates with people who just want to learn a little bit about what I do and advice on what next step to take after they graduate from college, which I would have loved to have that opportunity. So yeah. please use me. I am open to it. Obviously we would schedule a time, but it's one of the things I love doing because I would have loved to have someone like that when I was Going. that age. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that too. And I hope our listeners can take advantage of that. And thank you again for being here. Thank you for listening or watching this amazing conversation. I hope you loved it as much as I did. You can follow AS on Instagram at AS the podcast at E the podcast. We're also on TikTok as AS the podcast. We have LinkedIn as well as AS podcast. If you want to be a guest here or reach out, you can email me at AS the podcast at gmail.com. That is E the podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me as well on Instagram at Bren underscore hi. That's B-R-E-N underscore J-A-I. Andrea, muchas gracias. Thank you again. Thank you. And I'll see you in two weeks. Adios. If you've been listening to AS for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. Ellas is produced, hosted, and audio edited by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. Our video conversations are edited by Javier Ortiz Ruiz. Our logo and podcast cover art was designed by Jennifer Cepeda. And thank you to Shiro who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusicarchive.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. This is Say Yes.